Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. Really appreciate you recognizing that my accent is not Australian, British, or New Zealand. Uh, some say my accent makes me sound smarter than I am. But uh, yeah, we're from South Africa. We have lived and uh, preached the gospel in California, beautiful California, for 15 years now. And uh, so we're delighted to be here. Uh, so thankful for Hume as a ministry. Our youth has been so enriched by you over many years. And uh, it's just delightful to, to meet one of our congregants, Cindy, who's a camp counselor, connect with her over breakfast. And uh, so look forward to mutually strengthening one another this week. I want to talk out of Psalm 42 this morning on something that I, I felt for years intuitively, but didn't have a way to articulate it until I found it in the Psalms. And it's this, that very often our souls need emptying before they can be filled. I grew up in, in Durban, South Africa, and learned to surf pretty late. Uh, and the surf in Durban is pretty rough. And Absolutely loved the power of the wave, but also grew with a real reverence and even fear for the ability of a breaker to hold you down and fill you with, fill every crevice of your body with salt water so that your lungs are burning and your nose is stinging and you come up full of salt water, but thirsty. Isn't it amazing that you can be full of water, but still thirsty. And Psalm 42 is a psalm by the sons of Korah about a paid temple musician who is thirsty, panting for the presence of God. And we'll find that he's not thirsty because he's empty. He is thirsty because he's too full. And this is a psalm about a man who unpacks his soul so that the Lord may fill him again. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? 
as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And there's plenty of water imagery here, isn't there? He's panting for streams of living water. His soul have these breakers crashing over him. He ends up being refreshed by a waterfall of God's steadfast love. But there's a paradox here. On the way to being filled with the waterfall of God's love, he actually pours out his soul. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How many of you grew up in the 70s and the 80s singing that unforgettable song, Ad Nauseam, as the deer pants for streams of living water? It's a beautiful song. We sang it so much because it was so beautiful. Uh, as I learned to hunt, whenever we uh, sang that song, I'd kind of get a, an itchy trigger finger, you know? <laughs> Someone shoot that deer. But uh, I mean... It was sung so much because it expresses this universal longing for the presence of God. Every single one of us have gone through seasons, perhaps a season now, where we've tasted of the refreshing living water of God's presence, and now we are thirsty and we are searching for it like a deer would pant and search for, for living water. I call this the saturated soul. This man's soul is not thirsty because he's empty. He's thirsty because he's too full. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Why, why is he thirsty? His soul is waterlogged like a sponge. His soul is like a surfer or a swimmer that's been trapped under a breaker. He's so thirsty because he's full of salt water, not fresh water. Or perhaps those of us who've raised kids will know those kids' paintings where they just take all sorts of different bright colors and paint all over it until it turns a dull gray. That's what a saturated soul is like, isn't it? It's so full. It's not empty. My, my generation, we uh, grew up with something called yuppie flu. Uh, we were burning the candle at both ends. We were redlining on reserve. We, we, we wore burnout like a badge of honor. It was the dot-com uh, time, and, and everyone was doing these tech startups in their parents' garages, hoping that they'd become the next Bill Gates. And we suffered from depletion. Yuppie flu was exhaustion and, and depletion. I know that people today still struggle with burnout, but I think there's a different pandemic today. It's not that we are depleted, it's that we are saturated. We are so full. We feel numb. We are saturated from the 24-hour news cycle. 
because bad news is, is clickbait. And we watch these things happen, and we wonder why we don't feel more deeply about them. We saturated by a slew of mile-wide, inch-deep online acquaintances, and we long for the intimacy of deep friendship. Perhaps we saturated by escaping pain by watching TikTok after TikTok, real after real. Perhaps more deeply, we are saturated with other people's pain. Many of us here are counselors and, and leaders, staff, and we take on people's pain. I, I talked to Cindy over, over breakfast this morning, and she just said, my soul is so full of joy at what God has done, but I'm, I'm also full of people's pain, and now there's another busload of campers coming. You know how it feels. You, you sit listening to someone you care for, someone in your church, someone in your life group, someone in your family, in your work, and they've got a great news story, and you just go, why don't I feel happier for them? Or someone calls you with terrible news, and you go, why don't I feel more empathy for them? Our souls are saturated. I wonder what it would take for us to take the detox of our soul as seriously as we take the detox of our body. After a season of great calorie intake, we drink a lot of water and eat a lot of celery sticks, etc., because we want to detox our body. What would it mean to detox our soul, to pour it out? Well, this son of Korah, who was a full-time musician, is detoxing his soul. He's recognizing that his soul is saturated, and that's why he can't seem to find the presence of God. He's paid to lead people into the presence of God. He's remembering with nostalgia how he would lead the throng of God's people to the presence of God, and now he's saying, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. He might be still going through the motions. He might still have the Gibson J45 and the skinnies and the Maverick City t-shirt, and he's dragging his feet to the meeting in his Air Force Ones. But he's no longer at the front of the procession. He's now at the back. You ever feel like that? Having been in ministry for almost 30 years, there are times when the gap between my spiritual reality and my ministry responsibility is scarily big. What do you do when you get there? Ministry can do that to you. Life can do that to you. Well, what you do is you pour out your soul. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And he says, my soul is in turmoil. He's pouring out how he feels. My soul is in turmoil. I, I feel disorientated. I feel like I've been trapped under a breaker. I don't know which way is up and which way is down. I love the fact that the Psalms give us permission to feel this way. John Calvin 
in his commentary on the Psalms, says the Psalms display the intricate anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Walter Brueggemann, when talking about the Psalms, says that there are some Psalms that are Psalms of orientation, where you feel the presence of God and the blessing of God, and all is right with the world, and that you know, Psalms like 150, Psalm 150, sing to the Lord, clap, enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise. There's great Psalms of orientation, but he says there are Psalms of disorientation. When your soul is in turmoil, and do you know, beloved, a full third of the Psalms are Psalms of disorientation. And God is giving us permission and actually admonition to pour out our souls, not to deny that, but to acknowledge that, like the son of Korah. And we know that this man is so distraught that he's lost his appetite. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He can't sleep. He's living on a diet of tears. When I get in turmoil, I live not on a diet of tears. I wish I did. Living on a diet of sugar. But he's acknowledging that all is not well with my soul. You know, the danger of not pouring out our souls when, we're, when they are disorientated is at least twofold. The one is that we get into nostalgia. And he's on the brink of nostalgia. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to lead the great procession, the great throng. He's thinking of glory days, better days. How many of us find ourselves thinking of pre-COVID days? Of younger days when the world seems simpler? So easy to get into Nostalgia, in the words of you too, we glorify the past when the future dries up. When the words of Nacho Libre, I remember that time when everyone was screaming my name. <laughs> Nostalgia is deadly. And we can honor the past, we should, but if we glorify the past, we cease to trust God that he is a very present help in trouble and he is a very beautiful future. And so he's pouring out his soul of nostalgia. The second danger of not pouring out our soul is that we begin to fake it. And that's the biggest danger for those of us in ministry because we have to have it together. We have to seem like we are walking with the Lord. And so people will say, how are you doing? Oh, and we just go, oh, I'm blessed. And it's actually not altogether true. Kathy Keller writes, powerful article on faking it. And she says, you know, ministry, vocational ministry, will either make you a better Christian or a worse Christian. It might make you a worse Christian, she says, because you have to present that you're together. She says, at this point, when you realize you're faking it, put everything on hold and run to Jesus. Repent. And He will forgive and fill us. So he pours out his soul. 
He pours out his soul. Now, now I know that, that some of us were raised in traditions where we have a suspicion of emotion. And we are taught not to trust our emotions, but rather to trust the Word of God. And that is absolutely true. Truth be told, emotions are fickle. And the Word of God is faithful, amen? And ultimately, we are called to trust God's Word and not our emotions. But the denial of our emotions is also unbiblical. The Psalms actually call us to say, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not denying this. And yet there's a greater truth. We've always told our kids, feelings are a wonderful servant, but a wicked master. They're a servant because they tell you how you're doing. And as we pour out our soul, we bring our emotional health to God and ask Him to heal us. So firstly, He pours out His soul. Secondly, He begins to listen to His soul. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you cast down and in turmoil within me? The, the curious and beautiful thing about this psalm is that he doesn't just describe how he's feeling. He asks, why? But, but why? It's not enough that my soul is downcast. It's not enough that I'm in turmoil. What is the thing behind the thing? And the, soul, the, the Psalms here give us permission to ask for the thing behind the thing. And there seem to be two things behind his turmoil. The one is that he is physically distant from the people of God. He says, from Mount Mizar, I call to you, verse 6. From Mount Mizar, I call to you. Mount Mizar was on the outskirts of Israel. It was far from the temple. It was far from Jerusalem and the people of God. And so he is missing the presence of God because he's far from the people of God. We, we're not told why. But we are warned that very often we miss the presence of God because we miss the people of God. Now, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir because you are here amidst the people of God singing the praises of God in the presence of God. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But this is a warning not to forsake the gathering of the people of God because there's a connection between His presence and His people. Of course we know we can go on a hike and swim in a lake and this is an incredible reminder that God can meet us on our own in nature and He does. But there's this warning not to miss the people of God. There's a connection between God's people and His presence. But there's a second why, as he listens to his soul saying, what is the thing behind the thing? And it's this, it's wounds. Wounds. Why is his soul in turmoil? It's because with a deadly wound, verse 10, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now we know that ultimately the way back to God if we're far from Him is repentance. That's what the gospel is. It's acknowledging that it's no one else's fault. My sin is my fault. 
and I must repent. And when I do, God's grace comes rushing in through Jesus, and I find the presence of God. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. Let's push pause on wounds for a moment. We'll get there now. And just make sure that we're understanding that actually the way to God ultimately is repentance and receiving the grace for my own sin. When I first got to America, I kind of grew up playing rugby and uh, I thought, man, I've got to learn an American sport. And our church had a softball league. So I thought, I'm going to try softball and I mean, I was terrible at it, but anyway, I still couldn't get this kind of this thing, you know? And uh, anyway, I began to learn, began to get a little bit better, but there was this thing that was so curious to me, and that was if someone struck out or dropped a catch or threw the ball wrong, they would go, my bad. Okay, that's a strange phrase, my bad. What's, What's my bad? And then to make it more curious, the team would say to them, you're good. And I would go, but you're not good. You've just said, my bad. And now they're saying, you're good. So I went to the team captain. I was like, what is this, my bad, and and you're good? What what are you guys on about? And he said, well, my bad is an American way of saying, it's my fault. I'm not blaming anyone else, and I'm taking responsibility. Well, okay, but why then are you saying you're good? He said, no, no, no. We're not saying he's good. I mean, he's bad. What we're saying is, it's good. We forgive you. I was like, dude, that is the gospel. (laughs) Right there, that is the gospel. When we take responsibility, we don't blame others. We say, it's my fault. Actually, God, through his son, Jesus, declares us righteous and says, you're good. Which doesn't actually mean you're good. It means that you're good because Jesus is perfectly good. This is the beauty of the gospel. Repentance is a gift, but there are times when our soul is in turmoil, not because of our own sin, but because of the sin of others against us. With a deadly wound, my adversaries taunt me. In other words, someone has disappointed us, someone has betrayed us, someone has been mean, and we know Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We know that's a lie. Wounds, deadly wounds, come from words. And so this psalmist's soul is in turmoil because of wounds. And he brings his wounds to God. You can't repent of wounds. You actually have to bring your wounds to God for healing. Darren Patrick, who pastor who tragically died a few years ago, said this, we often get sin and wounds confused. Sins are rebellious places in our hearts that need repenting. Wounds are tender places in our hearts that need healing. You cannot repent of wounds, and you cannot go to therapy for sins. There's a time to repent of sins. Make sure that you repent of sin. But there's a time to bring your wounds to the healer. And our hope for healing, if we've been wounded, is in Christ, the wounded healer. Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah, the suffering servant, would not only bear our sin, 
he would carry our sorrows. Isn't that beautiful? That in the gospel is healing for our sorrows and our wounds. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we have been healed. If you've been wounded, especially if you've been wounded in the community of faith, healing is not found out by yourself. Healing is found back in healthy community. Beautiful poem by Edward Shalito from 1990. 19 said, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. There is no other so-called God that was wounded other than Jesus. Bring your wounds to the wounded healer. Amen. And thirdly, he moves on. He pours out his soul. He listens to his soul, and then he begins to speak to his soul. And I love this. This is probably my favorite part. He asks questions. What's the thing behind the thing? Why are you so downcast on my soul? But then he begins to speak. He says, put your hope in God. He speaks to his soul. Why so cast down, O oh my soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Listen to this man's self-talk. He is not denying how he's feeling. He's bringing his wounds to the wounded one, but then there's a moment at which he begins to speak to his soul. My soul, put your hope in God, for I shall again praise God. Him. Paul Tripp says this, no one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you more than you. I want to ask you, what is your self-talk? Is it self-pity? Is it self-shaming? Or can you, having listened to your soul, take the unchanging truths of the gospel and begin to speak them to God. See, our culture preaches the gospel of being true to yourself. You being, you doing a summer series on truth be told. We have this relativism. It's like, whatever you're feeling, that's true. The Bible is far richer and deeper than that. The Bible says, what you're feeling, you don't have to deny it, but there is a far deeper, more high and enduring truth than you're feeling. And so he acknowledges this and begins to speak to his soul. My soul, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. One of my heroes, Mr. Rogers, says about feelings, feelings are both mentionable and manageable. Our culture says they're mentionable, so just be true to yourself. I just want to say, really? Me being true to myself? That is seriously dangerous because I feel differently every day. I want to ask if I'm going to be true to myself, to which self should I be true? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a bundle of paradoxes. One day I'm up and one day I'm down. One day I feel that, another I feel that. Surely we need a firmer footing to be true to than our own 
feelings. Amen? So my self-talk goes something like this. Let me bear my soul to you. I don't even know you, and I'm bearing my soul to you. Alan, you feel this way. Alan, I'm not denying how you feel. But Alan, this is not the truest thing about you. Alan, this has been done to you. You have been wounded. But Alan, this is not the truest thing about you. Alan, this is me talking to myself. Alan, the truest thing about you is not what you have done not what's been done to you. The truest thing about you is what has been done for you by Jesus. I practice that self-talk almost every day. And it's a means of grace. I want to encourage you. Practice self-talk. The truest thing about you is not what has been done to you. It's not even what's been done by you. It's what's been done for you. It's orb our life and our souls around that truth. My soul, put your hope in God. And then he carries on to say, my soul, praise the Lord. And I wonder how you feel praising the Lord when your soul is in turmoil. It can feel like fake. And our culture has said, well, you know, don't fake it. If you're feeling down, just put your hands in your pockets and don't fake it. But actually, there's an incredible gift of praising the Lord in the midst of darkness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Psalm 103. Forget not his benefits. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters, and I'm coming into land. There's a series of letters between one demon and another trying to trap a Christian. And it gives us a glimpse into the strategy of the devil against us. And in it, screw tape, one demon says this at the very least, they, Christians, can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals, and whatever their bodies do affects their soul. What Satan wants us to forget is that our body posture affects our soul posture. In other words, if I'm feeling rebellious, the most powerful thing I can do is take a knee. That's not faking it. That's saying, I'm feeling rebellious, but there's a higher truth. If I'm feeling in despair, one of the most powerful things I can do is lift my hands and open my mouth. That's not faking it. That's just saying, I'm acknowledging that something's not right, but there's a higher truth. And I encourage you not only to listen to your soul, but to speak to your soul, the truest thing about you. Fourth and finally, to a saturated soul, 
you see a great refreshing in the psalm. You see a great progression from pouring out his soul to listening to his soul to speaking to his soul to then landing, verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I want you to see the progression here. He begins panting for streams of living water, and he ends plunged into the waterfalls of God's steadfast love. There's a deep satisfaction promised to saturated souls. Now, there is a practical application here, and the one is that a refreshing of the soul often takes place in the beauty of nature. And so it's not necessarily always about praying more or singing more. Sometimes it is about going for a walk, getting a good night's sleep, having some healthy food. Remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19, when he was so desperate that he wanted to die, the angel baked him a cake of bread, said, eat, drink, and sleep twice. And this is good application for us who are in this beautiful place. Allow God to refresh you through the common grace of beautiful nature, good night's sleep, good healthy food paddling in a canoe, catching a fish. But we know that ultimately, refreshing takes place in the presence of God, through the Word of God, in the praises of God, and amidst the people of God. He panted for streams of living water and ended up plunged into a waterfall. How can you and I be sure that that will be our progression. How can we be confident? I want to say your and my confidence is this, that you and I are not a deer. You and I are sheep. We are the sheep belonging to the great shepherd. That's our confidence. It's not that we're clever enough to process our souls and find the waterfall. It's that Jesus, the great shepherd, promises, I will lead you to still waters. That's our confidence. You are not a deer. You're a sheep. And you are a sheep led by the kindest shepherd, so kind that he laid down his life like a lamb for you and I. And when Jesus laid down his life like a lamb on the cross, he had at his heart justification for you and I. That as we said, my bad, he would say, you're good. You take my righteousness. I will take your unrighteousness. But he had even more than that in, in mind. He had the gift of the Holy Spirit to refresh us. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for charismatics and weird Pentecostals. It's for every person who puts their faith in the good shepherd. Jesus stood up in John 7 and said, Whoever is thirsty, let him drink of me. 
and streams of living water will well up to eternal life. And John says, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit who will be given. I want to say, if you've put your trust in Jesus, the great shepherd, he wants to lead you to the waters, the living waters, the refreshing waters of his spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the psalmist. We thank you for the brutal honesty of the psalmist, giving us permission to pour out our souls and listen to our souls. Jesus, thank you that you, through your gospel, you give us power to speak to our souls. We thank you that we are not powerless under our emotions. We thank you even now as we've sat under the preached word that you are helping us to unpack our souls. And I simply ask that you would fill your people, that you would refresh them. Some of them coming for a week of vacation, but coming with cares and anxieties and fears and weariness. Refresh your people, Jesus. Lead them to still waters. Lord, many of these people have poured out their souls for others. They're carrying so much pain. And I pray that as they place that before you, you would pour out your Spirit on thirsty souls. We thank you so much for the waterfall of your steadfast love. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill your people afresh like Jesus promised. And everyone said...